Hi, and welcome to Fussifern Christian Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message, and it will both challenge and inspire you. <laughs> who, who remembers Pastor Ernie? Yeah, he preached here a few years back, and a magnificent message about your mother. I remember your mother and, and the prayer that went through and for you. And people are still praying for you. Okay. We love him, but he's a big tease. So, you know, I just got to get him first. All right. Let's turn to the Word of God, shall we? You ready? Turning to the Word of God this morning, we're reading from Luke 7, uh, 28 to 35. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. Richard's leaving already. Is that good? Is conviction? Oh, good on you, Richard. Okay. For I say to you, among those born of water uh, of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even tax collectors justified God. They, say they, they were honouring God, they were confirming God, they, they were declaring it's right, that's true. That's what they said when they justified God. Even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptised with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptised by him. And, and the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by all, all her children. Last week, we started to look at what it means to be a friend with Jesus. And to be honest, even though that's been around, that concept's been around in the Bible, been around for a long time, um, it's probably the first time I ser- seriously thought about it. In, in every aspect of our relationship with God, and I don't want to preach last week's service, but I need, I need a springboard. In every aspect of our relationship with God, there's, there's parts where as we grow, as we grow close to him, we mature in that aspect. So, for, for example, he's creator, we're created. Uh, when we think about that, it means that there's reason, there's purpose. It wasn't an accident. He designed it and he designed us. And so as we grow in that relationship, we also get more committed and grow in the understanding that there's a reason and purpose for my life. So we call him Redeemer and we are the redeemed. And as we understand that, we grow in that. As we, as we grow in that, we mature and, and we move and, I suppose, mature in the things of the redeemed now. Our relationship with him grows. Our understanding and the application of that changes. It's, it's like, okay, we understand that we're called. He's called us. And so as we grow in that, our, you know, you understand, and, and there's levels. But the truth is, I've never actually thought about my relationship with Jesus as he's my friend. Because I want to look into that. Because I need to grow in that. I've got these other things, you know, sovereign Lord. I got that, Redeemer, I got that. I got the call, the head of the church. I got all those things and I'm, 
And I'm, I'm growing in that steadily. We're maturing. We're understanding. And as we understand that, our, our relationship, our response to that, our, our lives are transformed into that more and more. But I've never actually stopped and thought about Jesus as my friend. And so I'm looking into that. And today I, I want to do a little bit more. And it's not going to take long, but I think it's incredibly important. So as we started to look at what it means to be a friend of Jesus, I want to add to it a little bit today. And it's not a great, about, a great amount, and it's not going to take a long time, but it is important. It's, it's significant. So first, let's make sure we know who Jesus is talking about in Luke 7.31. And the Lord said to what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? Obviously... Um, it's obvious who he's referring to, but I just I need to establish it so I can build a platform for my argument. So I'm going back to Luke 7.30, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. The Pharisees, the lawyers, the religious leaders, the experts on the law, um, those who considered themselves more righteous or more spiritual than everybody else, Again, it's obvious, but it still needs to be said. That's who Jesus is, is addressing. Sorry, not attacking. That's who Jesus is addressing. And, and even just as obvious is the truth that they still practice today in all churches. And I suppose if I'm honest, not only if I'm wanting to develop my understanding of what it means to be a friend with Jesus, I want to ensure that we don't become them. We don't become those who think they're righteous and they're more righteous, more spiritual than everybody else. We, we need to stay humble this, uh, with this and grow in, our, grow in our relationship with Christ. So this morning, I, I want to talk a little bit about them and, and what's going on here. Because unfortunately, they are still practicing these experts of the law, these who think they're more righteous, these who think they're you know, more spiritual. They are practicing and unfortunately they're having a lot of influence in all churches, all denominations. They're there. And I just want to make sure we don't become them. So, in Luke 7.32, Jesus says, They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We, dan we mourned for you and you did not weep. So in last Sunday night, I carried on the subject of what it means to be the children of God. And, and we looked at Matthew 9, 9 to 13. And I closed with verse 13. But I, I want to repeat it right now, um, again, because I can springboard to something else. In Matthew 9, 13, we read, Jesus talking, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinner to repentance. So when Jesus says, go and learn what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, it was quite an affront to the people he was dressing because they were experts in the law. They were the people who understood the word of God. They had what was part their Bible, I suppose, and they were responsible to make sure it was carried out. And then so they're the experts, and all of a sudden Jesus is saying, now you better go back and reread that thing so you understand what it's really saying, not what you think it's saying. Right? It was an affront to them. 
Yet Jesus tells them to go back and learn what it really means. That must have been a, they must have just been so writhing, the reeling. They must have been steaming when he said that to them. I suppose the challenge that comes out of this account, out of that statement, is does our understanding of the Bible make us judgmental or merciful? That's what Jesus is saying there. After they uh, used their interpretation and understanding of the Bible, Jesus says, you need to go back and learn what this means. I, I desire mercy, right? Not sacrifice. And so the bottom line is, does our understanding of the Bible make us judgmental or merciful? Because I want to suggest that um, if it makes us just uh, judgmental, we need to go back and rethink, re-read, re-study what it really says to us. But unfortunately, you know it's as, well, as well as I do that far too many in the church are ready to quote scripture and condemn people and judge them when, when they mis, really misquote what God's intention was and his, 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 his intention was to lead us mercifully and gracefully into his presence to bring healing. It's like, you know, um, hmm, okay. It's like his grace is sufficient. Paul taught that. Grace is sufficient for me. I am who I am by the grace of God. There's no doubt about it. I'm saved by grace, not by works, least anyone should boast. It's all grace, right? But then we have an extra layer and it's like we say, but if you want to make sure you need to stop doing this and start doing this. And we think that if we, if we don't follow that rule, that these people who are, who are the self-appointed judges of the church will come down and claim you're going you're gonna to be cursed, you're going to lose your blessing, I don't even know if you're going to be saved. But the truth is, no matter what we do, God's grace is sufficient and we're saved. It's just that God says, I've got a better way for you where it doesn't hurt, it's not as painful. And in fact, if you walk the way I ask you to walk, then you can learn and you can grow and, and life will actually get better for you, not worse. So it is possible for you to be saved and yet your whole entire life be absolutely miserable because you're not walking in the princes of God. But that doesn't exclude you from salvation because salvation is bought with the death of Christ, the blood of Jesus. But we subtly and not carefully, we, we make it conditional. Well, it's not conditional. You understand what I'm saying? Once, once you start to believe in Jesus, you're saved. You're absolutely thoroughly saved. Because his blood is more powerful than your sin. His obedience to the Father's will and the expression of that love that was displayed on that cross is more powerful than anything else in all of creation. It's just that God says, okay, you're saved, but there's a better way to live. And it's less painful and it doesn't hurt as much, and, and it'll be beneficial just not just for you, but for your children also, right? So, so we need to understand that. And so um, if we read, if our understanding of the Bible makes us more judgmental than it does merciful, there's something wrong. We've got to go back and read the Scriptures, what they really say. In this, Jesus calls Pharisees, lawyers, the religious leaders, the experts of the law, those who consider themselves righteous or more spiritual, he calls them children. Now, usually when he talks to us and calls us children, or calls, he's talking about innocence. 
But in this case, he's not talking about innocence. He's saying the people that act like this are immature in the things of God, immature in the understanding of, of the word of God. They, they can pinpoint all this stuff, and, and, but if it leads them into being judgmental instead of merciful, they're immature in their understanding of the things of God. Now, you can get cranky with me if you want, but I'm not making this up. I'm just reading what's in the Bible. This is the word of Jesus. He calls them children. He calls them immature. Not the innocence component of, of children, but the ignorant component of children. The next part is really interesting and, it, and, and there's quite a bit of debate I've discovered about this. So in Luke 7.32, we got that they are like children sitting in the marketplace looking for attention, not private, public, calling to one another saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you and we did not weep. So when I started, I thought, I need to make sure what I say about this is right. So I... I did my research and I, I looked at different historians and theologians and some of them will even suggest that the bit about the flute comes from a Greek philosopher, Aesop. Aesop's fables, where apparently he had this fable about a fisherman piping, where a fisherman plays a flute hoping to attract fish and when it doesn't work, he lowers his net and then the fish jump in, so he says... You wouldn't dance when I pipe, but now you haven't stopped dancing. And so there's, there's some lessons there, there. And so a lot of guys think, well, Jesus, this is 300 years before Christ. They think he's quoting this, but I don't think he's quoting it. I don't think he's quoting them. I don't think it's about, you know, playing a flute for children. I think it's about reference to celebration. It's, it's reference to part of the Hebrew uh, culture's marriage ceremony where there's a celebration and there's someone playing a pipe. There's music. And what happens is you usually get up and dance in celebration at the wedding. I think it's that simple. But I put the other one just in case I'm wrong. I don't think I am, but just in case there was plenty of... I nearly said experts, but we're looking at them in a negative term today. So theologians, historians who suggested that perhaps, and I suggest perhaps they're wrong, and this is really just about marriage because the next one talks about uh, grieving. Um, we mourned to you and you did not weep. I think they're talking about weddings and funerals. So he's talking about children playing, wanting attention in, in the marketplace. And, and they're like this, he said. They're, they're like, you know, hey, we, we played the flute, but no one's dancing. We, we mourn, but no one's grieving. What, come on, what's going on here? You're not doing what we want you to do. He says, these people who think like this, this is what they're really like. It's interesting, because I, I thought, I better find some context. So I went to what happened just before this dissertation, this discussion. And, and guess what it was? It, it was a funeral. And Jesus and his followers interrupted a funeral. But instead of, of doing the traditional thing and getting to the back and following mourning, Jesus went straight to the front, grabbed a hold of the dead boy, 
told him to get up. And, and the son of a widow was brought back to life because of the word of Jesus. I can't help wondering if he was criticised for doing that. Wait a minute, what's he doing to the head of the funeral line for? What? Everybody else goes to the back. Why? You get to the back. But Jesus wasn't bound by their tradition, so he went to the front. And he brought life into the situation. He rose to go. I can't help if this is all connected. And he's saying, look, these, these Pharisees, these lawyers, these experts in the law, they want you to dance to their tune. They want you to mourn the way they're telling you to mourn. Uh, either way, the picture Jesus gives us is of some immature, ignorant people upset because both John and Jesus wouldn't do it their way. That, that's the picture we're getting here. John and Jesus wouldn't do it their way. And while Jesus highlights his and John's different approaches, um, the passage itself reveals they both have attracted tax collectors and sinners who the experts of the day rigorously excluded. Luke 7, 28 29. For I say to you, among those born of water, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when the, all the people heard it, even the tax collectors, the despised, even the tax collectors justified God, for they'd been baptized by John. So even though John was dry and hard and to the point, you know, he wore the camel skin. He ate locusts and wild honey. He, he got stuck in to the kings and to government officials. Uh, to every, he, he wasn't nice or polite or friendly. He just gave them both barrels. He just he cost him his life, his head, the whole deal. But he didn't care. He just gave. And yet there was something about him that attracted sinners and tax collectors. So even the tax collectors, when Jesus was saying, this is a great man, they were you better believe he is. And they started praising God. How interesting is that? Different, completely different. Uh, and then in Luke 7, 34, he says, the son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton, a wine, whatever, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So even though Jesus was friendly, oh, we got, we got to get this being a friend of Jesus stuff. <coughs> I'm, I'm already thinking about the proverb where it just says, you know, uh, if a man's got friends, it's because he's friendly. But there's one that sticks closer to you than a brother. We've got to get this friend thing. We've really got to get this friend, but I won't get sidetracked right now. Um, no matter how, they did it. Completely different. You know, John, the Baptist, and Jesus in their mannerisms, in their way, in their approach, in their style, completely different. And yet, the experts run happy. You would have thought they'd be happy with one disapproving of the other but they weren't happy with either and they're both extremes of the same thing I'm going this is amazing they they do it this way they're not happy they do it this way they're not happy and I realize the reason they're not happy is because they're not doing it their way 
How many times in church are the experts unhappy, no matter what you do? And the reason unhappy is it's not what you're doing, it's because you're not doing it their way. But friends, don't do that. I, I love the next bit. Luke 7.35, but wisdom is justified by all her children. Um, We could preach all day on that one, but let's just keep it short because I could smell lunch. (laughs) We could read the verse, you know them by their fruit. Wisdom is actually proven by the results. When you're hearing it, you might, hmm, But when you see the results, you can't argue with it. So both John and Jesus, they couldn't do it right. But both of them, both of them saw multitudes of tax collectors and sinners enter the kingdom of God. Now let's go back to the experts. How many tax collectors and sinners do you think they saw into the kingdom of God? In fact, Jesus says, and I'm trying to stay focused a little bit. Jesus says, he rebukes someone. He said, you will travel the whole world to make a proselyte, to convert someone to Judaism. But then he went and said, and then you bind them up and make them a child of hell. That's what he said. So if by any chance they actually do get to get one saved, their, their rules, their regulations, their legalism their control, them making people do it their way, he says, you're actually making them children of hell, not of heaven. And here's the thing. This is what Jesus does. Uh, and I'm reading from John 1, 11 to 13. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, To them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Pharisees, when they proselytized, when they saw a convert, they made them a child of hell. When Jesus, the friend of sinners and tax collectors, enters into a relationship with them, He makes them a child of God. I want want to take this further about being friends. Jesus wants to be your friend. Sure, Lord and Saviour, absolutely correct. And as we understand Lord and Saviour, our relationship grows as we understand that and our understanding of that grows. Our relationship with him grows uh, pertinent to what we've understand as Lord and Saviour, it grows, it grows. Sovereign Lord. All those things that we are coming to terms with, that's changing the way we see him and is is developing and strengthening our relationship with him. But, But above all now, we need to see, you need to see. He's your friend. He he and and have you received if you let him in, if you just what does that mean? It means If you let him be your friend, he'll make you a child of God. Because he he wants to be friendly with you. 
He does, he's not judgmental, he's merciful. I'm, I'm wondering this morning, I know, even us Christians, regularly wrestle with guilt, shame, condemnation. And, and because of that, we distance ourselves or exclude ourselves from all that he has. We back off and, and we, we might not say it, but we think and we act like, how could Jesus love me? I'm such a terrible person. How could Jesus be, want to be my friend? He, he, you know, it doesn't make sense. But that's because we're thinking it through through our understanding and through our hearts, not his understanding in his heart. He wants to be your friend. And all you have to do is allow him. All you, we, we got the formulas to make the process. We can say, repeat after me the sinner's prayer. I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe I'm forgiven. You know, I believe in him. I believe he was born of a virgin. I believe he came to die on the cross. We, we can say all those, and they're helpful. We, we can quote Romans 10, 9, if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth, we shall be saved. We, we can do all that. They're helpful. But the thing is, what's only necessary is that our hearts start to turn towards him. We just start to look at him. We just start to open up to him. We just start, and, and this is before we even understand anything. When we just, that moment when, and I said this last week, and it's so powerful. You know, the thief on the cross, he didn't say the sinner's prayer. He didn't even repent. He, he didn't do the new Christian's class. What happened to him? Well, he had a really bad day. And he died at the end of it. But, but here's the thing. In the morning, he saw Jesus. And, and stuff was happening, horrible stuff was happening to him and Jesus, but he just kept looking. And it got to the point where he said, the other, the other convict who was dying on the other cross was criticizing another guy. And he said, you idiot, don't you know? He's done nothing wrong. See, Following Jesus on with that cross, he started to see and realize this is an innocent man. He started to, maybe he'd heard some of the stuff that he was teaching or some about the miracles. And he started, this is an innocent Until he got to the point where he said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, he realized he's the king. He realized he's the son. When you... Will you think about me? And Jesus said, this day, I'm telling you, this day you're going to be with me forever. See what happened? His heart started to turn because he started to see something. That's the moment. when we, Many of us have a testimony where, where we knew nothing about God. Knew absolutely nothing. But then something happened and all of a sudden we, we turned and we had a closer look. Or we had, we had a feeling. We, and all of a sudden he got our attention and we started giving him back a bit of attention. And I believe in that moment, we were saved. That's me. That's just me. He wants to be your friend. We paraphrased him last week where he said, you know, Jesus died for his friends. He didn't just die for sinners and tax collectors. He died for his friends. He wants to be your friend. So what does that mean? He said, well, I'm not sure what that fully means yet. I've been trying, the last two weeks I've been, you know, doing life. And as you do, you think about the things of God and your relationship and your understanding and 
You're trying to work out things and putting things in place and turning to him at the right time. And, but all of a sudden, the last two weeks, I'm trying to, Jesus, my friend, what does that mean today? What does that mean in this situation? What, what does this mean in this challenge? Jesus, my friend, right? You know, and, and it, it, I've, got to, I've got to be honest, it's not that easy for me. But I do know he's my friend. And he's not here to condemn me. He's not here to cut me off, to exclude me. He's my friend. He wants to actually draw me closer. Can we get to that point? Jesus is your friend. He wants to be your friend. And the only thing that's stopping him isn't anything to do with your past or the horrors of your life. The only thing that's stopping him is you. Why don't you let him be your friend? Come on, why don't you let him be your friend? I don't know if it's not theological enough or, you know, super deep and spiritual. I don't know if it's just too simple. I'm struggling with it. But I, I know Jesus, not only my Lord and Saviour, not only the head of the church, not only the one I'm giving an account to, not a, but my friend. And I'm, I'm wrestling with that during the week, I'm telling you, but I want him to be my friend. He is my friend. I've got to let him be my friend. What about you? Can we pray? Father, right now in this house, by your spirit, I'm looking upon a group of people who've known you for a while. Many of them have faithfully served you for a long while. They've grown in their relationship with you. They've grown in their understanding of you. Different aspects of that relationship with you are now strong because you walked them through some very difficult challenges. But I pray now you'll add to that list of their understanding of their relationship with you, the different components, aspects of that, that today, by your spirit, not only will they able to, yeah, Jesus is my friend, but they'll really understand how that means and they'll start to understand how to respond to that, that they will be called the friends of God. Oh Lord, by your spirit right now. I pray that this won't be evidenced just by the fact that we can say Jesus is my friend, I'm a friend of God. But it'll be evidenced by the fact that they become really friendly with each other and with others. Lord, right now I pray for anyone who is struggling with shame or guilt or condemnation that the power of that will be broken that the love of Jesus will break that power right now. And Lord, no matter what, they'll be able to get to that place where they can say, yes, Jesus is my friend. And all that that means, by your spirit right now, in Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you were blessed with today's message. You can connect with us at firstfamchristianchurch.com.